If you're like me, you grew up watching the 80s movie classic A Christmas Story, the story of a young boy who all he wanted was a Red Ryder BB gun. It became repeatedly played on television and a cherished classic of, of television Christmas time. And uh, Canadian. And Canadian, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. One, one of the most successful Canadian movies for some time, right? Uh, I remind mistaking for, for it for time. Porky's. Um, I always get those two movies. Interesting same director. Enough, same director. Yeah, it is. Anyways, what I was getting to was, 10 years before he made A Christmas Story, the director, Bob Clark, made a different kind of Christmas story. He made one about isolation, coldness, and fear. It was shot on location in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, in one of the most brutal, cold winters of the 1970s. It featured young stars, Margot Kidder, Andrea Martin, as well as Olivia Hussey from uh, the Robin Hood movie, sorry. Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet, thank you. And Cara Doulet from Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. This film, pointed to as the godfather, or godmother, since it's a primarily female cast, of the slasher film. It introduced the POV mechanic to North American cinema, and it's long been known that John Carpenter initially started work on Halloween as a sequel to, to Black Christmas. Oh, that's the title of the movie we're watching tonight. Black Christmas! What? Here's a movie that you never seen The map is some ninjas or a crazy death machine There'll be smiles, there'll be tears You won't watch a movie for about 8 billion years It's time for death by video Time for death by video and now, the show will begin. All right, guys, it is the holiday season, and the snow has fallen, and it's finally actually appropriate time to listen to holiday music, because it's no longer November. No. And it's set by video! I'm Phil. I'm Kit. I'm Graham. Lillian cannot be with us this evening. She is working late, unfortunately. She really wanted to see this movie. I really wanted to see uh, her to see it, too. I love this movie, Inside and Out. It is a true Canadian classic. It is groundbreaking. It is awesome. Um, and if you haven't, I, I don't normally say this to our listeners, but if you have not seen Black Christmas yet, watch it before this, this, uh, this because we're going to spoil everything like we always do. We hold nothing back on this podcast. Well, yeah, we, we expect yeah. our loyal listeners to... Uh... <laughs> All four of you. To know what we're going to watch mm -hmm. or to see the episode and be like, I'll check that out in a couple of days once I've seen this movie and uh, mm -hmm. do their homework and then uh, be with us. Yep. We usually talk about movies you've never seen, mm -hmm. but there's a pretty good like, chance that you might have seen yes, this Yes, this is one that, you know, it's, it's a, it is in the canon of great uh, 20th century films. I have not seen it. Uh, Phil, you've seen it though, right? I saw it for the first time only a few years ago at the Ooh, Royal. Okay, well, this is, this and that is was my second viewing, yeah. Nice. I love this movie. There's a beautiful restoration done by Scream Factory down the good old US of A, which is a vast improvement upon the Canadian Blu-ray, which left a lot to be desired that came out a few years ago. Um, so, guys... Has anyone seen anything interesting since we last recorded you'd like to talk about? Yes, uh, this is going to be a left field one. I okay. watched the Eli Roth Death Wish. Oh. And I got to say, I liked it. What? I, I saw your uh, rating what? on... Um, Letterbox. Letterbox. So I, I am interested. I, I also saw your one-star uh, rating for Midsummer, and I was like, yes, this, this, is, <laughs> this brings me comfort for some reason. 
I thought we liked Midsummer though, kid. I thought you liked it. I, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. I just, just knew that Phil would, Phil would kind hate of... it with his soul. Yeah, because <laughs> cool. it, it's, it, it seems like Ari Aster is um, starting a career designing yeah. movies just, just perfectly to designed yeah. to annoy <laughs> Phil. Yeah, yeah. He is making it for an audience of one. <laughs> but yeah, you like Death Wish. I did. Okay, explain. And so <laughs> Eli Roth, he is from the Paul Verhoeven school of satire. <laughs> what? This movie is satire. I don't think so. I, I think Eli Roth doesn't think so. It's totally satire. You need to watch it, and then we can argue if we must. Okay, now I'll watch it to see uh, a man, a white guy with a shaved head shooting black people for 90 minutes. It's it's a comment on white privilege and white male vigilante fantasies. See, I don't know if Eli Roth. This is, sounds interesting. It, I don't know if I've does. heard this take yet, but um, I'm, I, yeah, I think this is I'm a take in, of one. Yes, I'm engaged. Okay, well, I'll I'll have to watch it because yeah. I don't think Eli Roth has the capacity as a avowed Jordan Peterson fan that he is. Yeah, yeah. the change your yeah, concept it's, it's now. Not, it's not a tasteful film. But no, of it's... course not. <laughs> we seldomly watch tasteful films on our podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anything but, else, Phil? <laughs> or do you want to like uh, go on more about uh, Eli, Ro- Eli Roth's Death Wish? No, I'll, I'll leave it where it stands. Okay, okay. <laughs> Kit, have you seen anything interesting since we last recorded? Uh, yes. Hold on, I'm just looking for the title of it. God darn it! Because um, mm-hmm. speaking of uh, speaking of Death Wish, did you watch Death Kiss? I did not. Have you heard of Death Kiss? What is Death Kiss? So Death Kiss, they this production company found a man who looks like Charles Bronson and when the remake of Death Wish was coming out they produced a movie called Death Kiss that he starred in they have since made a movie called I think The Road to Deadwood because Deadwood was a real place all the characters are public domain also starring this guy who looks like Charles Bronson have you looked it up? I looked up the film that I was uh, I had watched <laughs> what's yes. that? What, what film was that? <laughs> it's a film called Showdown at Boot Hill Ooh, is it a classic? Uh, yeah, it was just on YouTube. Uh, it has Charles Bronson in it. I put it on. It's a Western. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the guy that they found. Oh, man, he does. He does. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of insane. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's Charles, Char- uh, Charles Bronson as a bounty hunter. Mm. Um, and uh, he goes into this, uh, this town... And he tracks down a bounty, and the guy's kind of an asshole. He looks like an asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's behaving a bit like an asshole. Uh, and he's definitely the, the bounty. He responds to his name. He's killed two people in, a, in another uh, county. So uh, he tries to take him in for the reward, but it's a dead or alive reward. So when the guy draws on him, mm. uh, Charles Bronson guns him down. Yeah. Um, his problem is, guy turns out to be the most popular guy in town. Ooh, so now the entire town is gunning for Charles Bronson? The entire town, well, first they're just like, well, he's a lawman because he is a marshal on top of being a bounty hunter. Uh, so we can't uh, we can't just hang him or, or murder him. That wouldn't be right. But uh, we all love this guy. Uh, so we're going to pretend that uh, that's not his bounty and, and screw him out of his uh, $200. Uh, we won't identify the guy and we'll say that he's not the, not the right guy. So Charles is like, well, Tries to take a picture of him. That doesn't work. They shoot the camera. Uh, so he's going to stick around and wait till they mm. bury him so he can see the gravestone because they're going to put the guy's name on the gravestone if they all liked him so much. So Yeah. Um, so he sticks around town even though nobody likes him and he kind of falls for the waitress there. Mm-hmm. So you can see a tender side of Charles Bronson. The softer side of bronze. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, even, uh, he even gets to say kind of like, uh, 
they go to the dance there and then they get chased out by all the townsfolk who don't like him. Mm. Uh, and her her mother's a prostitute too, so she's kind of on the outs with them too. But uh, he gets to say uh, sweet things like, uh, "You can't drag can't drag girls' tears with a gun." You can't drag. Sorry. You can't draw a girl's tears with a gun. Was this movie on YouTube? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's only like did an he, hour and he, ten minutes he, long. Did you say to someone, "Do you believe in Jesus?" <laughs> he didn't. No, unfortunately. And the person then says yes, and he's like, "Good," because you're gonna meet him. <laughs> he does. Uh, he does have a great scene where somebody's like, uh, somebody draws on him, like tells him to stand up when he's on a date. Uh, and he's like, uh, what do you want me to stand up for? And he's like, well, I what do you want me to stand up for? Yeah, exactly. So now he's going to draw on him. So uh, uh, he kind of mows off to the guy. And then he he finally stands up. And he's like, waiting on you, tell man. And then he is able to shoot the guy before. Because uh, <laughs> he's a quicker draw. Like, yeah. And another great thing about the movie is it turns out that he got into the bounty hunting life. Uh, killing men and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because he's a short man. And he was always he was sick of being made fun of by all the tall people. <laughs> he's even bashful about asking the waitress out because he's a short man and he doesn't uh, doesn't he fears secretly that she won't respect him because he's a hard guy too. Like he's I might not be tall, <laughs> but I'm tall where it counts. He's got an Napoleon complex. Oh yeah, I forgot. I watched uh, the finally watched the Plague Dogs for the first time ever. I was leaving the Criterion and, Channel. Oh right, shite, I missed it. Yeah, I'm really glad I was not subjected to that movie as a kid. It would kind of ruin you, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really would. And I was looking through like the old marketing for the movie, mm-hmm. and it was marketed as a kids' movie because it was a cartoon. So why wouldn't kids want to watch it? Exactly. It's, yeah. Turns well, out there are many reasons why uh, kids <laughs> shouldn't watch the Plague Dogs, I'd, but it is an excellent movie. I'd never heard of this. It's from the same company that made Watership Down. Oh, They're based on the novels by the same author, yeah. Richard Adams. Oh, okay. Because I read Watership Down, and yeah. that's mm-hmm. a, a scary book for a kid to read too. Yep, it became a very scary movie. Um, and just, just like the Plague Dogs was a mm-hmm. scary book made into a scary, scary movie. movie. Now, kids, here's the Plague Dogs. <laughs> but, but also a gorgeously illustrated, <laughs> mm-hmm. animated movie. I, I miss analog. Miss the good hand drawn anima- animation. Oh, yeah. it's so evocatively detailed. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could like frame like every scene in that movie. Yeah, they'll bring it back. There'll be like a resurgence of that. Every now and then, form. someone does it. Yeah. Um, and then I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I also watched The Irishman. So did I. The Irishman. The Irishman. There's a lot of that. Three talk. hours and seventy-two minutes of it. It wasn't seventy-two minutes. It was there. a long film. There. Uh, it's an hour and twenty-nine minutes. <laughs> an hour and twenty-nine minutes. <laughs> it's like you're I beg you, the little people. Yeah. <laughs> the Irishman, starring Robbie De Niro, Al Pacini. <laughs> and then Joe Pesco and yeah. Joe Joe Joey. Pesci Joey Pe- Joey Joey Opeshi Joey Opeshi yes that's right <laughs> from Shamrock Cove uh, I saw it too what did you think of it I I, uh, I accidentally watched it twice which is a weird <laughs> wow. thing to say how did you accidentally watch it did you just because it's so long you forgot the beginning of it so you just started watching no, it no, again so, so I watched it on uh, my TV which is not a high def TV. Uh, and my computer connection, which is not great, yeah. so it was like it wasn't a perfect version mm-hmm. of it. You know, it's the way Marty would have wanted, though. I, uh, I, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure uh, because he signed up with Netflix to do this film, he the, his intended way of seeing it was for people to watch it on their phone on the bus. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's how yeah. I watched it. Yeah. Oh well, that's the only way to watch it. I know. In like yeah. 15 In, minute intervals exactly. yeah, over yeah. the course of a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fast forwarding through the boring parts. Yeah, <laughs> which there were none. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, so I watched it then, watched all three and a half hours in one sitting, 
And then I uh, had to do a bit of dog sitting duty, and I, I met up with my brother, who was uh, who was already down uh, there, and uh, we had a few drinks, ordered some pizza, and I was just like, "Well, uh, my brother's got a really high def TV. I'm gonna just watch toss the on the Irishman again. Just, just watch watch the first bit. The first part. And then part. Uh, you know, then my brother came home. We were doing um, you know drinks of Maker's Mark, and we were talking about them. I ended up watching it twice accidentally. Mm. So. Did you like it though? I uh, yeah, I really did. Okay, I did not. Oh, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I, 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 here's the thing. I love the ending. I thought the ending was, was amazing. Beautiful. Uh, very beautiful. I, what, not beautiful? Seeing digital Robert De Niro's 40-year-old face on 76-year-old yeah. Robert De Niro's body he beating he did not up a guy. Look, I think he was supposed to be 35 when the movie starts, maybe, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, Frank it's Sharon's very about bizarre. That age. The, the and he's that, not, he's clearly not 35. No. And I like that at least Joe Pesci's character is supposed to be older, even yeah. though they're the same age, those two actors. Yeah, yeah. When they were playing old and not moving, but like that scene where he beats up that guy, and that was he's rough. Like, yeah, he's like, "I'm gonna get you." He's like yeah. an old man, like, "Can you, Sonny? Let me show you." Because you, you think of him in like Cape Fear or something, mm-hmm. like Rob De Niro in Cape Fear when he would have been about that even age. Even like, like uh, what was that movie? Like, not even from Cape Fear that was thirty years ago. Like something from like twenty years ago or fifteen years ago. Like what was it? Eighty-eight minutes or fifteen minutes or something? Or um, he wasn't in that. Uh, well, you mean like Righteous Kill? Which yeah, is an yeah. Movie. He didn't even he didn't do well, much Robert in that. Robert was in uh, fifteen minutes. That's yeah, right. was in 88 minutes. Right, I was getting him confused. Or like Ronin or something. Yeah, um, it was something 20 years ago. Yeah, like, so 15 minutes is the one where De Niro gets killed like half an hour into the movie and he has top mm-hmm. billing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a... a the sh- movie was just that bad. Yeah. yeah. I think I missed that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was Ed Burns, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. And two Russian okay. guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I gotta say... I enjoyed it. Aside from your criticism, which is valid, I think... And my criticism that it, like they should have cut 70 minutes out. I've, why? Minutes could have just I mean, it's too long, but I enjoyed the extra seventy the, minutes anyhow. The flashbacks so. to World War Two didn't mean anything. Yeah, uh, yeah the, I mean, what what was nice there was the um, the stutter that De Niro put into his speech whenever he would talk about that stuff, and whenever he would kind of talk about. No, killing. no, no, don't don't get me that wrong. Like, it was it was acted incredibly well and shot incredibly well. I just think that story wise, kind like, of the first time you hear it, and he just talks mm-hmm. about just gunning down those German soldiers, and then you find out mm-hmm. that that's what reveals him as a, a stone blooded killer. That's how you. Do. That's how it's believable that they'd be like, well, how about you kill this guy for us? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, all right, I could do that for some extra dough. Yeah, but the thing is, I I don't know. I also like just that scene where they're talking about the fish, man. I love that. That was horrible. That's like, that's, that's Martin Scorsese. <laughs> how like, do you not know what kind of fish it is? <laughs> it wasn't funny. I don't know, it's a fish. I was, I was falling asleep like when that was on. I'll see you. You watched it too tired. I, no, I, I watched it wide awake and it put me to sleep. So you're like, it would be a better movie if it was shorter. Yeah, yeah, if they got rid of all the fat. Nah, I, I like the fat. The fat was the best. I'd like, just like in I bacon, also, the, I, the fat is the, is the part you want. I also am just like, uh, I again, just the whole thing of like, just cast younger actors. I could see it. And then guess what? They could have actually released it in theaters properly as opposed to their like eight screens in the US, one screen in Canada release. Joe Pesci was good too. It's oh, nice to good. see him in movies yeah. again. He's yeah. a nice understated performance. He's not a... He's not a live wire gangster like in his previous Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he couldn't be. I guess he's... like Pacino has been rescued from uh, VOD hell this year. Yeah. yeah, with that. Well, I mean, yeah. I I suggest an Oscar performance is on his uh, Oscar uh, nomination, nomination is on uh, on its way. For well, him. we'll see. I'm not sure how it'll work with the Irishman because it was primarily a Netflix movie. So I think I think they did just enough to qualify it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Same with the marriage story. Yeah, because yeah. Roma was uh, also Roma primarily. had a much longer, uh, had a much bigger run. Though. That's that's fair enough. But um, yeah, they were in a lot more. They were actually in a theater chain. They were in chains of theaters in the states. Whereas, but I mean, it did the festivals. It did some yeah. festivals at least. So I think it, it qualifies. Mm-hmm. Like they know exactly how to qualify, and they do just that. 
All right, we've uh, we've discussed we've, the Irishman far right. too long. Well, I guess uh, far too long to discuss the reflect Irishman. Reflecting it, the Irishman. Yes. The only Irish movie called The Irishman where he speaks more Italian than Irish Celtic slang. That actually looks like a little Joe Pesci on your your little That's bottle a, warmer. That, that is uh, uh, Joseph Smallwood, the final founding father of Confederation. Oh, okay. It looks like a uh, Joe Pesci. Like yeah, at the end of he a... brought uh, although. He kind of became a gangster towards the end of his run. He was uh, premier go. of Newfoundland for like 27 years or something. Oh, I love the stuff about Kennedy, too, in the Bay of Pigs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so dumb. So good. Yep. All right, so without further ado, let's watch Black Christmas. We'll be right back. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Yeah, what I've done is I've tapped this phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house, too. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. Terminal 55. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. And that was Black Christmas, the Canadian classic. So guys, I love the hell out of this movie. I think it's so well done, so put together, so atmospheric, so creepy. It's like, I think, a truly Canadian horror film without, you know, hockey pucks, even though there's a hockey scene or moose or anything like that yeah rather unique uh hockey mask as well mm-hmm. i like it a lot yeah it's it's colorful it's mm-hmm. like red and orange or no orange and blue or some something like that mm-hmm. be a very niche halloween costume <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um 
this film was kind of the, the turning point in Bob Clark's career. He was the director of it. So he uh, made a bunch of films in the States and then eventually immigrated to Canada because he realized he could actually make films here because they were, they were uh, government grants. So before this, he had made the horror films. Well, he made a couple of films. He made The Emperor's New Clothes in 1966. In 1967, he made the movie She-Man, which the title alone begs a lot of questions. Hmm. What's the premise? It is a soldier is forced to take estrogen and wear lingerie when he's blackmailed by a violent transvestite. Okay. <laughs> this sounds like an Ed Wood movie. Yeah, that, that's very odd. So 1967... He got his first real taste of success in 1972 with Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. This yeah. was his uh, zombie film, which was really the first major zombie film, uh, but it's still only relatively minor in the public's conscious. Yeah, I think since it was like a PG of... zombie movie as well. Yeah, but uh, it was the first major one since Night of the Living Dead, and it's creepy. Like, have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like, it's about a, uh, a troop of actors that go to an island to come up with some kind of like performance and they find a corpse, and they decide to use the corpse in their thing they're making, and then somehow the dead get resurrected. And it's it's pretty creepy. Like, it's really atmospheric, really they good. They really do it to themselves in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no... Um, they really cross a line. Yeah. And then he made the film Death Dream, a.k.a. The, 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 the superior zombie movie he did. Yeah, yeah. A.k.a. The Night Andy Came Home, a.k.a. Dead of Night, which is one of the first ones to actually deal with the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. The trauma of the Vietnam War. Yeah. So you've seen it, Phil? I have, yeah. And the parents are... Mm-hmm. Um, ben Gazzara? No, it's not Ben Gazzara. Oh, sorry, dude sorry. Faces, yeah. is um, John um, Marley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also in The Godfather and... Mm-hmm. Also another actress from Faces. Right, he was the guy from... He was the guy from The Godfather that got the horse in the head, right? Yeah, or the, yeah sorry, I they, believe so. The horse head in bed. There we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone was giving him horse head? What? <laughs> Shut up. Um... Uh, Kid, have you seen Death Dream? Or uh, I have not. No, it's really good. Uh, basically, uh, a guy, uh, a, a son, dies in Vietnam, and his mother wishes hard for him to come back. That he does, but he comes back wrong. So it's the monkey's paw. Exactly, and then that leads him to to 1974's Black Christmas. And after this, he actually swore off a of horror. He didn't want to do horror anymore. But this, I think, is his his best. Um, he peaks like he. I they, think this was his peak. He knew when he knew when to tap out because he's yeah. like, I can't do anything scarier than this. It is a horrifying concept that there is someone else in the house with you and you don't know it. Yeah, that's that. Uh, mm-hmm. you, as we were, you were suggesting, that's that yeah. famous like trope or kind of a scary mm-hmm. story. Like the call is coming from inside the exactly. house. Exactly. This is the first one where that was actually done. And this, unlike a lot of other films where it's like we gotta trace the call, leave him on the line for ten minutes. This actually shows the effort that goes and why they need that much time because back then. The phone company was literally the phone company where it was physical um, exchanges that you had to make in order to make a, a telephone call work. I'm guessing in the, this year's edition, it'll be like we've we've pinged the cell phone off the nearest. <laughs> I don't think it'll be a thing because the the new Tower, one just yeah. the uh, the new Black Christmas just seems to be taking the name only and the Christmas setting in the sorority house. Oh, uh, okay. And one of those and things. no number spoofing. No, no. <laughs> show five yeah that was uh so uh the film uh in the film margot kidder plays one of the uh she plays a a drunken uh sorority real sassy uh, a university student uh yeah, Barb is cool as shit, yeah. man. although she's also sad because her parents ditched her for christmas yeah but, and she's just drinking constantly which is always. established in the first scene which is why she's always kind of like morose and kind of like just messing with people throughout this whole horrible ideal but yeah da- like um Black Christmas is is it because after that he did Breaking Point he did Murder by Decree Porky's Murdered by Decree I think that was an old TCTV staple it was an Agatha Christie adaptation it probably was because it starred um, 
Who did, oh, it starred, of course, Christopher Plummer, uh, James Mason, and David Hemmings. Of course, no Donald Sutherland? Or no, okay. no, Susan Clark uh, from Superman, the movie. David Hemmings. I don't believe Sutherland was in it. Mm, oh, he is. Okay. In, in, a, uh, in a slightly minor role. But it's Christopher Plummer, Donald Sutherland, James Mason, David Hemmings. David Hemmings, of course, from The Amazing Blow Up and Dario Gento's Deep Red, which um, I think those films were a bit of an influence on this. He then went on to do Porky's, Porky's 2 the next day, and then finally in 1983 he made A Christmas Story, which kind of just blew everything up for him. After that, he made the not-so-great 1984 film starring Sylvester Stallone and, and Dolly, Dolly Parton. Parton in Rhinestone. Hell yeah. Because I think the only thing we wanted after Rocky Three was to see Sylvester Stallone sing country songs. Um, and then he was like lastly known for the film Baby Geniuses and its uh, yes. sequel Super Baby Super Baby Baby Geniuses Two, which didn't really do much or, or get any notoriety, but they were always on video stores in in cheap department stores in like low rent department stores like Zellers or um, I don't know like a grocery store. You'd always see Baby Geniuses on the shelf somewhere. Ah uh, yes, yes. I and I always hated it. It's such yeah. an annoying concept. What yeah. if babies were smarter than adults? No, I don't want to see that. That's no. annoying. They can't do anything because yeah. they can't walk. <laughs> I just learned the other week that there mm-hmm. were five baby geniuses movies. Yeah, he was only involved in the first two. Um, yeah, but um, John Voight was in all of the sequels. No, oh, good for him. Keep... He's got to pay for his opioid addiction that he probably has somehow. <laughs> Did you just make that up? Yes, but <laughs> <laughs> just, just 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 to clarify, we're not accusing John Void of having an opioid addiction. Kit's just saying, wouldn't it be funny if he just probably um, does, probably, but doesn't possibly, but doesn't definitely. Donald Trump gave him the Medal of Arts for his work in the Baby Geniuses franchise. Oh, I thought you were gonna go for his work in Transformers the movie. Isn't he also in Ray Donovan? Or is that I don't. He know. was, yeah. Not ever watched. He's also Shepard. in Heat. He was also in Midnight Cowboy. Good movies before he took a downturn. Why am I? Anaconda. Yeah, Anaconda. Oh, yeah, Anaconda. Of course. And uh, Mission Impossible, the first one. Yep, where this he played the bad guy. Yeah, 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 I like the first one. Um, but back to this film. So, um, we should point out that like there there was some decent casting in this. Like you had Cara Dulay from uh, who really hadn't done anything big since 2001: A Space Odyssey, playing the role of Peter, the frustrated musical student at college who was dating Olivia Hussey's character of Jess. Um, Who the film basically just mm-hmm. points a target on him, says, this is your man, yeah. and points to him the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, it's not. The thing is, it could have turned out to be him, and it would have still made sense. Like, that's what I like about the movie, is that, like, there's none of those false red herrings other than... Because he does, like, have some instances of anger in it when... Um, he smashes, he his smashes his piano, piano after he bombs he's a, really, uh, like, you, you're mm-hmm. gonna have my baby. Uh, none of this killing babies well, in the We should point stuff. out that... That one of the more controversial aspects of this film is the fact that the character, the main character, Jess, unapologetically wants to have an abortion. This used to be more the norm, though, I think, in the 70s. I mean, I don't know. It was discussed on TV. But... They were were mm -hmm. always kind of controversial episodes, but... Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, like, in in which programs? Oh, like, Maud had a famous episode where Mm -hmm. she gets an abortion, uh... Might have been on probably all in the family as well. I might have mentioned it, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, but again, like that stuff wasn't really being put into. Uh, I mean, those are Norman Lear productions, so they were always kind of about deeper meanings. Whereas as they weren't really in what was essentially popcorn horror movies. Um, 
The film also has a lot of issues about women's body rights when Carrie Delay's character, Peter, basically tells her, you cannot have an abortion unless I say so. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm in charge of the situation. Like, And he even when... Basically, so, it's it's good news when she kills him and he doesn't turn out to be the real yeah, killer. Well, it's like, right. oh, that's all right. Yeah. We just jumped ahead <laughs> 80 minutes, but yeah. all right. So we should say, I, first of all, I love the setting. It is a... I love that it takes... Here's the thing. Right now, it's December 4th when we're recording this. People have been complaining for the last... It gets dark so soon now. I like long nights. I like it. I like that feeling. I like being awash in like a nice yellow glow of a, of a light bulb like we are here tonight. Um, I like how things get quiet at night now. Um, it's still not that cold here, thankfully, but um, you can see in Black Christmas the breath when they're outside. Like, it is a cold night. Um, it takes place... The whole movie takes place basically over two... One night, one day, and then one more night. In the uh, town of mm. Bedford. Bedford, which is kind of blatantly Toronto, but not. They yeah, have, like, they, a couple they, American flags. Yeah, they'll stick American flags in some scenes. But, but they then were they'll from be like, Scarborough. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're coming in from Scarborough. Like, it's like they mm-hmm. made it Toronto, and then afterwards they were like, can we change it in post? Like, yeah. They prominently feature the old acorn signs. Yeah, yeah. The, and they explicitly list, like, real... Str- mention, yeah. Probably mention real streets mm-hmm. in Toronto. Because Bedford is a... Or was it Belmont or Bedford? It was Belmont, yeah. yeah. Belmont is a real street in Toronto. Which is very close to the Black Christmas house. Yeah. Close, but no cigar. Um, and... Like they shoot at U of T, yeah. and it's no less affluent Belmont no. Street from, you know, yeah, the place where it actually is. Um, and of course, we should also point out John Saxon is in this movie, which he's always a presence. I love. He always would pop a up true in seventies movies, yes. yeah. And he is so good as like the the cop that's just like because uh, we're introduced early on to another police officer who is I think Staff Sergeant Nash Nash. Who is played by a Canadian actor whose name I'm going to look up now, but he was in Going Down the Road, the the probably the film that kicked off what we can Canadian consider cinema. good Canadian cinema. Yeah, his, uh, his maritime accent that. comes out every now and then, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially when he's telling you like, "Now listen, get out of the house, dear, eh? Bye. Like, <laughs> Going Down the Road, directed by uh, the father of uh, Noah Forty Shabib. Mm-hmm. Th- well, there you go. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah I um, know. Yeah, so it's uh, Doug. All Ma- Drake fans out there. <laughs> Doug McGrath plays uh, plays him, and he's actually still alive because he was in. Oh right, he was in the sequel to Going Down the Road, called Down Going Down the Road Again oh, from 2011. That, that was not good. I actually stumbled across the set of it because I saw like, oh, is that the car from Going Down the Road? Because it said My Nova Scotia Home on the side of it, and I was like, oh, that's crazy. I wonder what they're doing with that here. It turns out they're shooting a sequel. Going down the road, famously parodied, mm-hmm. parodied uh, by Joe Flaherty and uh, John Candy on SCTV, which also mm-hmm. stars Andrea Martin, who is also in this movie. Yep. And I think it was just called Young Street or something yeah, I think like so, that. Yeah. It was really, really fun. Um, like, I kind of feel that this one is like an alternative world version of Going Down the Road because it's a seminal Canadian film that kind of like in- inspired a lot and still has lots of good critical acclaim. Um, should we go through the story? Like, it starts. Well, we we can briefly mm-hmm. run through it. I don't think yeah. we need to do it. We don't need to go through like a, a hit by, by scene, hit because because um, so much of what makes the film great is the atmosphere, and also unlike some of the crazier move, like moments movies that we've seen, this film makes logical sense. There's nothing where you're just like what, like there's no like huge gaps in logic in this film. Not really, no. no. None that I can think of offhand, at least. No, no, no. And even like the call coming from inside the house makes sense because they have two separate lines in the house: one for their den mother, uh, who is a wonderful drunken lady, and one for the girls downstairs. Um, but uh, we should point out that so 
the entire film is basically set around this sorority house in uh, the University of Toronto or the city of Bedford in USA. Um, and there are a lot, I think, like they said, 10 women normally stay there. Plus, there is their den mother that looks after them all and kind of keeps the house clean. But this close to the holidays, mm-hmm. we got about five left and they're having yeah. parties and yeah. stuff. So and they their had boyfriends like, are over and one of them looks like Gene Shalit. Yep. Who later on plays Santa Claus. And also, we should point out Art Hindle. A very Art, disgruntled Santa Claus. Yes. <laughs> Art, and they've got a big fluffy uh, cat yeah. named Claude or Claudikins. Yeah. Um, <gasps> we of course, never found out what happened to that cat. I think he was all right. Um, I think as soon, just in the attic. as soon as the killer started knocking stuff over, he was like, I'm out. Um, but, uh, and also Art Hindle, who, who was also in Porky's and Porky's 2. And The Brood. And The Brood. And really well known for the uh, the Canadian uh, nighttime soap, ENG, from the 80s. Oh, snap. ENG. Yeah. That's a deep cut. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Love me some ENG. And, uh, of course, the star mm-hmm. uh, basically is Olivia Hussey. Yeah. Uh, for all you, uh, for all you high school English students. Yes. See, now they probably watch like the, the. It's, it's funny. I was like, how oh, she was that one. That mm. was like late sixties. She must. Oh, and then I'm like, oh yeah, she was only fifteen when they filmed that. Yeah. Yuck. Um, more progressive back then. <laughs> I think regressive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, you, you're implying that they're watching the Leonardo DiCaprio Claire Danes. Uh, that's right? what I was. I was thinking it would probably be the Leonardo DiCaprio one, than oh. the uh, than the original one anymore. But uh, what I was hate it? that one. The uh, the Bosler. Lerman. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that version. I love the adaptation of that for in uh, Hot Fuzz when they do it on stage. Oh yes, I do. That <laughs> that is probably that. Yeah. And uh, so they're they're having a a little Christmas party for the sorority house before everyone takes off for Christmas. A few people are left behind. Um, Andrea Martin's character, uh, Margot Kidder's car- character, Barb, um, and we should also point out that Andrea Martin's character. This is before her SCTV days. Uh, she's known as Phil in this film. Yeah, I'm assuming short for Phyllis, Phyllis or Philomena. Something yeah, like something like that. Or Philippa. Philippa. Ah, Philippa. Forgot mm-hmm. about Philippa. Yep, and. Um, so they're all there having a couple of drinks and they get an obscene phone call and apparently they've been getting a series of obscene phone calls and they all kind of follow this plot of uh, someone yelling at someone named Billy. Well, the first one we really weirdest, listened to yeah. is, is this vul- is surprisingly vulgar. vulgar. I wasn't yeah. expecting that much vulgar for the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because when the film got released on DVD in the early 2000s, people asked Bob Clark, so why'd you go in and like, and like change the words? And he's like, I didn't. That was always in the film the uh, obscene phone calls. So they get an obscene phone call and they kind of like just laugh it off. Um, but I mean, then, they're a little worried, but you know, mm-hmm. Barb is uh, drunk and she's got, uh, she's given some sass back. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we see a POV outside of someone climbing up into their attic and, uh, and just sort of like camping out. And this is when the murder starts. So he first, uh, the killer kills, who is it? What's her name? Claire. Claire, who is the, uh, the girlfriend of Art Hindle's character. Yeah, she's about. She's leaving. Mm-hmm. Her dad's going to pick her up tomorrow. Yeah, she's uh, and she goes up. upstairs. Uh, the cat's there, Claude. Mm-hmm. Uh, she dies she, via suffocation. Yes, with uh, one of those plastic, bag. like um, mm-hmm. dry cleaning garment bags. bags yeah. yeah, and like it's the first also example. What this film does great that no other film really has done is the killer is in plain sight, but you just don't notice him. Also, uh, what was unique to me about this slasher film is that there's, for the protagonists, for the people in it, there's no body count. There's that one murder that is unsolved, we don't even see, but yeah. they have no idea that there's a body count piling up. Exactly, yeah. So they're not 
as on edge as they might mm-hmm. should be. I mean, they're a little because there was a little girl murdered in a park, which uh, yeah. is a plot point when they're when they're out looking for their friend Claire because mm-hmm. she, she goes missing. She goes missing, and so they do a they do a a uh, what should we call it a police search party. And there are also uh, numerous scenes where uh, out of the corner of your eye, there's just a lingering image of Claire suffocated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's up in that attic window, which is the creepiest thing. Mm-hmm. Just like just there. It's yeah. always filmed from different angles mm-hmm. as well. Um, and also, as uh, Graham pointed out, in one scene, like there'll be like a shadow moving behind them every now and then. Yeah. And it's it's real, real like it's the kind of filmmaking I like where it's so it's subtle and you're just like oh my god because i never noticed that shadow behind them until this time watching it but you know even when claire died like initially she goes rocks right up to the killer but doesn't see him he is standing behind the plastic bags which are transparent but they're kind of like bunched up so you just sort of see like the outline of his face and his hands which looks a lot like peter oh yeah you mm-hmm. see his haircut too yeah, i mean they, they the really same. like oh, yeah it was, Underline, it this was is the Peter, 70s. he's the killer. Yeah, it was the You can 70s, almost see though, a yeah. stupid green turtleneck sweater. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The killer also has a turtleneck. <laughs> yes. I mean, all the dudes in this movie have turtlenecks yeah. except for the cops. It was mm-hmm. the time. I wish they'd bring that back. I like those cable knit uh, turtleneck Turtlenecks. sweaters. Yeah, they never fit me well. They itch. I, yeah. It's uncomfortable to wear, but the look is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, so much to talk about with this film. But uh, And so basically from there on... Uh, the women in the in the sorority house start getting picked off one by one, but they're all different, and it's all like well, it's the, Cla- Claire goes first, yep. and then it's the uh, the den mother. Yep. Um, who her, her, her Another good thing about this film is that her character is like she's always um, drunk. There's like a running gag with a lot of she's things. Hidden so she's hidden booze everywhere. Hidden these little bottles of uh, sherry. It's called like it's got a great name too. It's like uh, straight sherry is the brand of sherry that she buys, and she's got these little Mickey bottles everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she just uh, has hidden in books, has hidden in toilets, has hidden in sock drawers. Yeah. Every room she goes in, mm-hmm. there's a secret bottle it's of sherry. Bottle of sherry, yeah. Um, also in closets where she finds like the empty bottle. Yeah, yeah she's like, oh, I already oh, hit the supply. Yeah, darn it! I've been so <laughs> drunk, I don't even know where I am anymore. So that that's mm-hmm. like fun. It adds like it's not just this grim kind of. Um, no, this this film balances humor out yeah. good, and it's not like it's not. And humor she's also like barb levels of profane mm-hmm. as well. Yes, yes. The other thing there's actually she... a funny scene where. Mm-hmm. Um, Claire's father comes by to pick her up the next day. Can't oh, find and her. It's the first time you've seen Claire's dorm room, and there's a reason why she didn't want him to see the dorm room. Uh, there's, because yeah. there's all kinds of modern posters on the wall. There's even a poster of Pierre Trudeau. There is in the background, yes. Yes, because in America, there's nothing more than that, that than women put on their dorm room walls and posters of Pierre oh, Trudeau. Dreamy Pierre. Mm-hmm. With his Trudeau mania. Yeah. But yeah, so like, and the den mother has to like use her hands to try and cover up like, you know, this old woman giving the middle finger or like people who are naked posed in the peace and love hippie symbol. Yeah, yeah, because so it's just 74. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that mm-hmm. whole generation is still... It's still it's still, still a lingering, fresh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still the psychedelic mm-hmm. era, according to Q107. Led Zeppelin Four was just released that year, I think. Oh, nice. Seventy four. Mm-hmm. No, I thought that was seventy one. Seventy one. Yeah, yeah you could be right. It's probably physical graffiti. Yeah, I think so. yeah that's right. That's right. All right, nerds. Or House um, of the Holy, maybe. Yeah, one of those. I can't remember which one came first. Mm-hmm. Uh, twenty one twelve by Rush. Oh yeah, no. never never got into Rush. No. Oh yeah. Uh, that would have been good because they're a Toronto band. We mm-hmm. should have been hearing more Rush. <laughs> they were like playing in like the girls were like. I'm gonna <laughs> the murder is actually name. Getty Lee. He's just yeah. gotten away with it all these years. <laughs> I think this is the heyday of like <laughs> April Wine. Yeah. Oh Christ, April Wine. Um, but what was I going to say? So back to our the film we watched. Um, uh, the girls get picked off, and these obscene phone calls keep coming, and eventually they go to the police, 
And initially, Staff Sergeant Nash just doesn't take him seriously and says, like, nine times out of ten, the girl just shacked up with her boyfriend or something. Go to the boyfriend. He's like, absolutely not. That's when like, we see the, uh, the hockey awesome mask, hockey yeah. The neon tie-dyed hockey mask, which I don't even know how he did that. Um, and this is when John Saxon gets involved, where he's oh, like, wait like a, a second. like a proto-Darth Maul mm-hmm. hockey mask. It does, indeed, actually. Yeah. But um, at this point... John Saxon, who is a police detective, overhears while well, he's meeting with a woman whose daughter, teenage daughter, has gone missing. He overhears the, th- the whole argument between the uh, f- the uh, the father of Claire and the friends from the sorority house talking to Nash and Nash being like, eh, "It doesn't matter, whatever, who cares?" And he's like, "Wait, you mean there's been like uh, uh, the, that a girl's gone missing in the same neighborhood at the same day?" as a teenage girl going missing, like, we should look, be looking into this. Um, and so they do. And um, where do we go from there? There's, like, so much great atmosphere. I, can't, well, I hate they, they, they find it. the missing teenage yeah. girl. She's, she's, she's dead. dead in the that's, park. That's the dead yeah. girl in the park. Mm-hmm. And then they go back home. Which, and then, which explains, which is a good little plot point, because it explains why they would be like, oh, well, then we have to look into these calls, these yeah. obscene phone calls, and we have mm-hmm. to take it seriously and tap the phone and do a whole operation. And then they eventually did, because um, they realized... Oh, Sorry, I'm tired. Sleepy. Yeah, just getting up at 5 a.m. crap isn't good for me. Yeah, I gotta do it tomorrow, too. Um, so then, basically, Olivia Hussey and uh, Well, Andrew. she's, uh, by the way, we find out she's pregnant uh, yeah. with, uh, we kind of mentioned this before, yeah. with so Peter's, and he's a, a, ter- he turns out to be a real jerk. Yeah, so he is basically a, uh, a pianist in the uh, Music Conservatory, pro- Conservatory Program at the UT, dating... Olivia Hussey's character, she is pregnant, he wigs out about it. He then bombs his recital and proceeds to smash up the piano he was playing. With a mic stand. With the mic stand. This is basically like a... This um, is a full-blown Steinway piano. Yeah. Oh yeah, he smashed uh, There was some money spent there. Uh, him and... So basically, um, Olivia Hussey as Jess and Phil, who is played by Andrea Martin. Yep. She, um... Uh, they go back with uh, with Barb, of course, and the dad of Claire and the dead mother. Oh yeah, we jumped all around. Basically, the dead mother gets killed while they're out searching the park. Um, yeah, she gets killed after spotting Claire's uh, corpse yeah, in the Claire, attic. Yeah, she goes up to find look for Claude. Claude the cat. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then she goes up into the attic and sees Claire's corpse, and that's when the killer. Basically hits her with a hook. It's, it's a an amazing hook. kill because I think nine times out of ten that would not have succeeded. But mm-hmm. he managed to throw like this hook that's up there, and it just gets her yeah. right in the mouth and uh, picks her up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a dark hook. Yeah, like a. Yeah. That's got to be painful. Uh, they don't. They don't show that. Luckily, yeah. we just hear her anguished screams. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good soundproofing in this house because nobody yeah. ever hears the guy giving the phone calls. Mm-hmm. Or anyone scream, so it is very uh, soundproof. I guess that's for all the sex that they want to have. Sure. Um, so, basically, uh, what happens? The father is still out searching. Um, the three girls, Margot Kidder, Andrea Martin, Olivia Hussey, come home. Uh, Margot Kidder goes, passes out drunk and goes to she, bed. She's ordered to bed because she's too drunk. Yep. Andrea Martin's take, been taking some sleeping pills because of her cold, so she goes to bed. Olivia Hussey's left alone. And then, she, basically, she gets her an obscene phone call, calls the police to report it, and Nash again kind of says, like, ah, it's probably just one of your boyfriends. And, again, John Saxon's like, Nash, tell me where that phone call came from. It's like, oh, 6 Belmont. It's like, 
that's the house where the girl went missing. You moron. Um, so they eventually work out a way to trace the phone calls. Um, played by a very heroic telephone operator named Graham, who I uh, was a big fan of in this film. Line, l- line man Graham. Line man Graham. Um, who Not phys- Graham Lineham. No, but- no. He had to physically run through the uh, telephone banks to like figure out where the call was Yeah, it was like from. this warehouse of telephone banks. Yeah. So it takes like 10 mm-hmm. minutes to trace the call. Yeah. Because they can't have two people doing it. It's got to be one guy running through rows and rows. He's the only one that knows how. <laughs> um, so then where do we go from there, guys? Uh, I mean, that's that's basically... Um, then we get to the... Leads to our crescendo. Yeah, leads to our crescendo. There's Barb a really is murdered. great... Yeah, the Barb murder where she is being stabbed with a unicorn, unicorn yeah. glass unicorn. statue. Which she has wow. dozens of these beside her bed. But it's, it's happening simultaneous to... In a really great editing crosscut, uh, carolers come to the front door. Yes, creepy Olivia Hussey listens to children them. of the corn type kids. Just and as they're singing, I think it's Silent Night, or is it? Um, uh, oh come all you faithful! Oh come all you faithful! Barb gets stabbed to death by the, the full length version mm-hmm. of Oh Come All yeah. You yeah, Faithful. Yeah, the, the extra long version of Oh Come All You Faithful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's another thing this film does well. I mean, there's not much Christmassy about the actual plot like you could almost mm-hmm. remove this plot and put it in the summer but what it does well is it harnesses the mm-hmm. creepy power of a lot of Christmas carols yeah. especially the more uh, religious ones where it's just mm-hmm. like these are haunting kind of tunes yeah I also love the, the it captures like the darkness of winter yeah well. yeah a lot of it's at night and the cold in the winter but I also love the fact that it captures the the Christmassy fee not not feeling, but like the Christmas like the little lights and the atmosphere and the Christmas carols. It's like Christmas is layered on top of it. And even the fact that like um, the sorority house is mostly empty is because again most of the girls are gone away for Christmas. And that's also why they don't really this notice. This is a freaking massive uh, sorority yeah. house as well. This is also why they don't notice when beautiful the wooden banisters. Initi- nice dark yeah. wood. Initially, they don't think Claire has been been kidnapped or injured because she was leaving. Same thing with the den mother. The den mother was going to leave that night to go on her Christmas vacation, and then she disappears. So it all kind of ties in together. We should point out at this point, Peter comes to try and talk to uh, Jess about... He wants to quit the music conservatory well, and then here's marry the thing. him. She gets, a, she gets another obscene phone call. Yep. It's very creepy. Uh, she finally hangs up, and then, oh, he's behind her. Yeah. After the after she hangs like, up, oh, you, see, a nap you see the feet come down, and this ties in later to when they realize when she's told that the calls are coming from inside the house. Oh my God, he was inside the house and the call came, because initially that's her saying she says that he couldn't he couldn't have done it yeah. because he was in the house when the call came in. But then as we learn, it doesn't matter. Um, and basically this is where we're at the crescendo where like we the killer has made his presence known to Olivia Hussey, and it's in several terrifying scenes where you just see a close-up of his eyeball between the door you see his hand grabbing the back of her head there's, a, there's another thing where mm-hmm. like um but you also see the outline of the killer when he's stabbing Stabbing Marco uh, Kidder, yeah, Kidder, yeah yeah mm-hmm. so after like Peter leaves and all that stuff yeah um oh, he leaves enough because she refuses to marry him and insists she, that she's gonna have an abortion yeah and he's all like no 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 um, then he calls her and, and like upsets her. And well, the, well the before killer, then, yes. Before then, the mm-hmm. killer calls and says the same thing. Like it's like getting a rash or a, a mole removed. Because he says like you're. Because Peter told Jess, you are treating uh, aborting our child like you're getting a mole removed. And then the the real killer on the phone, like is talking about like losing a baby, and then says it's, you know like you're as calm as if you were getting a mole removed, and that freaks Jess out. 
She's like, it's the same, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. She does not tell that to the police. No. I thought you said getting a war removed. Yeah, it's a war removed. Yeah, war- yeah. Sorry, 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 I'm tired. Yes. It's much harder getting a war removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's getting a war removed. Um, and she, you know, basically the police are tracking the call. Then eventually they, uh, they don't get that one because he's not on long enough. Then her boyfriend calls. Yeah, and uh, says. And is crying and weeping in the same kind of voice. And keeps saying, like, don't kill the baby. Don't, you can't kill our I'm, baby. I'm in a bad way. Blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So you're, the movie is basically telling you it's yeah. this guy. And the cop mm-hmm. also thinks so. And they try to trace that call, which would have solved everything. Because yeah. if they traced his phone and he wasn't in the house, mm-hmm. then it would have been like, oh, well, we know. But yeah. um, they don't get his phone call. No. Up. And so then the police out, the John Saxon goes to investigate the uh, the performance hall where he was performing, finds the smashed up piano, and that's when all of a sudden they hear through the radio there's another obscene phone call, and just does everything in her power to just not hang up the phone, keep the killer on the line. Uh, Andrea Martin also dies at a certain point. At, she goes up yeah. to investigate. She's like, "Hey, uh, Barb, Barb, you, you all right? Okay." And then the door slams and that's the end of her um but so anyways we keep her on and um so it's just olivia hussey or jess mm -hmm. as her character's name jess yeah uh, left in the house and this is it's at this point we realize the calls are coming from inside the house and that john saxon informs good old star staff sergeant nash i need you to call jess stay calm and tell her because the police officer that they posted out in front has been had his throat slit by the killer just tell her to walk straight out the door and wait for us. We'll be there in five minutes. And of course, Nash freaks her the hell out by saying, like, trying to be like, I need you to leave right now. And she's like, oh, but I'll just go get my friends. He's like, no, don't do it. The killer's in the house. You got to get out of that house. Bye. Um, <laughs> he starts panicking. Yeah. And, um, and so she then goes upstairs and this is where she discovers the dead bodies of Barb and uh, Andrea Martin's character, Phil. And this is also when we start getting more glimpses of the killer. We see his hands. We see that eyeball shot through the crack in the door, which I just love. Yeah, and then she and, slams the uh, slams the door on him. Yeah, and, and goes down and gets away. the fire poker. And there's that great, terrifying scene where she gets to the bottom of the stairs, and you just see his hand come into frame and grab her by the hair. Yeah, because she gets all away. of a sudden she can't open the door. Yeah. This is always, this always happens in horror well, movies. The thing that door just opened fine before. No, 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 it actually didn't because the, because her and Andrea Martin realized, holy crap. All the other doors and windows in the house are unlocked, so they go around locking it. And it's the oh. old school kind of door because the house is like 100 years old where you need a key to lock it from the front, which is what causes the issue because you see her switch the lock and then do the thing. Um, and so at this point, she goes and, and runs down into the basement where she locks the door to the basement. Like, it's terrifying. You hear the door slamming. And then finally, she gets to relax. She's got the poker. She goes downstairs into Yeah, the basement. you can hear the killer walk out. Yeah, and close the door. Then all of a sudden we see a silhouette on the windows in the basement. And it stops, tries to look through, and we hear Peter say, Hey Jess, are you down there? Hey Jess. And he winds up smashing the window, coming in. Super creepy. The cops are on their way, they're racing to get all there. All like, like, hey, why wouldn't you say anything? Yeah. What's even going on? You're freaking me out. What are you doing down here in this and basement? He's just hovering over her. I'm just going to back you into a corner and just ca- and like stand hey, everything's away Everything's okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And then she stabs him dead. We don't, but we don't see that though. So it could have been the killer that actually killed him because when the police come down, she's been knocked unconscious. Oh, this is true. So we don't know. Did she, because like, they even say like, I didn't know Jess had it in her to kill a man at the end. 
So then after basically cuts to Peter's getting closer and closer to Jess, cut to the outside. The police are about to break in. They get in. They come downstairs and find Peter dead on Jess's lap and Jess knocked unconscious. We then crossfade into the last scene, which is in a bed in Jess's bedroom. As she's being fed sleeping pills initially, someone's going to stay there the whole night. But they assume, like, you know what? We got Peter. And then um, the father of Claire falls into shock and passes out. So the doctor that's uh, attending to Jess says, we got to get this guy to a hospital. So everybody leaves, and there's a cop on the front door. Everything is safe, except... They still haven't found the bodies in the attic, by the way. They found all the other bodies, but the bodies in the the attic, they still don't know. And as it's happening, the camera slowly pans away from Jess, goes down the hallway, stops for a moment. At at this point, you realize, oh, the killer is still alive because they wouldn't still be here exactly. it's like that last scene in alien where mm-hmm. like ripley gets away and you're like well we're spending a lot of time with ripley after she's gotten mm-hmm. away here yeah it's almost like there's an alien hidden <laughs> and, on that jonesy. And, yeah, jonesy. and jonesy so yeah so we see we should also point out like this film presents the killer as totally unhinged and off the wall psychopath as he smashes through like he's doing multiple him voices smashing through like he's suffered some trauma from what i understand from all the research i've done the background on this killer and who he is, where he came from, is that he is someone who, when he was a, a young boy, Billy, was left in charge of his baby sister, Agnes. Now, his parents came home, and something happened to Agnes, like he dropped her or she died, and he hid the body, and his father freaked out and attacked him and his mother, and he's had psychological trauma ever since. And I think I think it is that he did end up killing the, the baby Agnes by mistake. And so now he is fully grown and has a screw loose and is going after all these women in a sorority house because he can kind of camp out there. There's a den mother. It's kind of a family to a degree and he can kind of like play through the horrible like memories in his head while uh, committing acts of violence against all the members and, of the like, sorority there's house. A, obviously a lot of repressed sexual. Oh yeah. Weirdness going yeah, on. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's definitely someone who's had stunted arrested development. So guys, um, I mean, I can. Talk- yeah, we also didn't mention that uh, the phones ring. Phone rings again. Oh right! Yeah. So as the credits start, you hear the phone <laughs> ringing again. So he's just trying to start the the pattern that he established. And then it, it switches mm-hmm. up to the attic, and you see uh, the dead bodies that yeah. are still there. And then you hear, oh, uh, yeah, it's me, Billy, it's Billy. Yeah, the and, credits are still mm-hmm. rolling, and the phone's and it's still, still, and ringing. still ringing. And there's still a cop at the front door, and Jess is all alone in the house with the killer. So it ends on a very foreboding note. Kind of similar to how Halloween ended four years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, it, there's been a lot of debate on the internet about, you know, did John Carpenter take inspiration from Black Christmas? There are some hardcore devotees that say, no, he came up with it all originally on his own, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> no, I think he took from a bunch of different areas. Like, there's I mean, some Hitchcock in do. there. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some. The POV shots at the beginning of Halloween are definitely, I think, inspired by the POV shots at the beginning of Black Christmas. Um, and Bob Clark said, like, listen, John Carpenter approached me and said, like, hey, if you were going to do a sequel to this, and Bob Clark was like, I'm done with horror, I don't want to do a sequel. And um, John Carpenter said, like, hey, but if you were, what would you do? And he said, like, well, I'd say that basically, like, five minutes after the credits ended. They capture the killer, and then he breaks out a year later on Halloween, and we call that movie Halloween. And lo and behold, there is a movie about someone that commits a murder, goes to an insane asylum, breaks out on Halloween called Halloween. Well, this However, sounds like an up, open and shut case of uh, yeah, who inspired it. Who inspired who. Um, but uh, Bob Clark is very honest. He's like, I don't bear any Ill, Ill will. Like, Halloween is a much different movie than Black Christmas, and uh, John Carpenter made it his own. Like, it is a John Carpenter film. It is not a 
a John Carpenter knockoff of a Bob Clark film. Um, I just, yeah, I just love this movie. I love like just the quietness it has in certain scenes, the pace of it, the editing, uh, just There's the like little setting. scenes when they're like just sitting by the fireside. Oh my god, it's so good when she's just sitting by the fireside waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah, and um, those old classic rotary phones too. You gotta love them. Yeah. Even like, and I, the thing is, you like all the characters in this movie. There's yeah, no, oh, yeah. there's no like, ooh, well, except annoying. for Peter. Except for Peter, but Peter, you you don't, you like. You're the, supposed to not like You're him. supposed to not like. That's yeah. the but thing. All like, the men are scum except for John Saxon in this movie. Yeah. Well, Art Hindle's okay. Art Hindle's good too. So, yeah. Yeah. I think Art Hindle and John Saxon are, are on the good side. But you, like, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things like, whenever I hear they're going to remake a movie like this, I'm like, why? You have this movie that's, I mean, I get it's set, it's 45 years ago. It probably is plays too old or some nonsense like that, mm. but you know I think when they remade it the first time in the early two thousands, they it kind of showed like, hey, maybe you can't go back to the well on this, but we're gonna. Which by the way, we're gonna be watching that movie Black Xmas next week. Um, hey, hey, hey! Yeah, which I've never seen before, so I'm excited to watch it and give some unfiltered opinions. The old uh, the the mid aughts mm-hmm. remake yeah. sessions that came with uh my Texas bloody Texas Massacre, my bloody, my bloody Valentine, Valentine, Friday the 13th, Dawn of the Dead. Else. Yeah. They were making a lot of those old mm-hmm. Exactly. And then they just realized, "Hey, we just make sequels and they actually do better." Like with Halloween from last year. Um So guys, I mean, analysis-wise, I think it's a great it's a great testament to Toronto in the 70s. It's a great testament to, to Canadian filmmaking. Uh, what are your guys... Well, kudos to Bob Clark, by yeah. the way, for not just becoming a boring Canadian politician, which his name would lend itself. Yeah, so. you think like it would be like, and now the MP from yeah, Shawinigan. He was the premier Bob of Saskatchewan Clark, yes. for 20 years, Bob Clark. Mm-hmm. Former but mayor no. of Saskatoon, Bob Clark. <laughs> now he just became like a really interesting filmmaker. And he... he you know, kidding about baby geniuses aside, like his career from really from children shouldn't play with dead things, all the way up until uh, like I think Turk One Eighty Two was like a, a movie he made in uh, the late eighties. Like he he had a good solid near twenty year run of fascinating work, and he never he was also like I love the fact like he was American came up here like you hear people from Canada going to the states and staying down there. Mm-hmm. He did the reverse. He converted. He became one of us. Um, and I guess he eventually went back to the states. Uh, I can't because even even mm. his like uh, baby geniuses was shot here. Okay, all right. Yeah, so I don't know if he ever did go back. It's kind of like George Romero. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. well, why would I want to go back? Yeah. Um, and then he died very tragically. Yeah, it was a drunken driver, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Him and his son, I believe. Oh, yeah, it's it's awful when you hear that happen because like he. Because uh, basically, Black Christmas, we should point out, um, didn't get a proper release in the states, or and like a, a not much of one in Canada. In the states, when they wanted to release a movie called Black Christmas, they thought assumed like, oh, it's going to be like people are going to think it's a black exploitation film and not go to see it. So they changed the name to Silent Night, Evil Night. Yeah, you were saying, yeah. And that kind of was too generic, and it didn't really work. By the way, too, too schlocky for. Yeah, I believe they have. Like there's sequels to Silent Night, Evil Night too, aren't there? No, Silent no, Night, Deadly Silent Night, Deadly Night, and of, yeah. Silent Night, Bloody Night. Yeah, yep. And so Silent Night, Evil Night um, didn't do well. I think there was another title for it as well because um, they released it a couple times and it just never stuck. And it wasn't until the home video boom of the '80s when people really got to watch it and enjoy it and appreciate it. And then in the early 2000s, when it finally made its way to DVD and you got to see that great widescreen photography, that's when Bob Clark kind of was like, you know what? Maybe I should get back into horror, and then unfortunately, tragically, he uh, he was killed in a car accident, 
and we've we lost a great filmmaker um and a great you know i was almost gonna say great canadian but he was a pretty good Canadian. he became a he's good an honorary canadian, canadian. Yeah. He, honorary he converted man he okay, he yeah. signed the paperwork oh go cool. yeah, i didn't know that no he he was legit voted in the okay. provincial and federal elections okay yeah. snap oh yeah i feel like andrea martin has also converted but i'm not 100 percent sure on that one yeah wait isn't she from canada no no she's from like chicago or something but it's the SCTV connection. Yeah, Second City. Yeah. So she came mm. up here to do the show. Mm. R.I.P. Second City, Toronto. Mm. Uh, they found a new home. Oh, good. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's any other titles for it. No, nah, they didn't have any other titles. Um, it was released... Okay, so the film was actually distributed in Canada by Ambassador Film Distributors, which I'd never heard of before. And it was released in Toronto on October 11th, 1974. Um, in the United States, Warner Brothers released the film in tandem with the Christmas season. Christmas movies in October. Come on. I man. know. But they released So Warner Brothers released it in on December 20th, 1974, uh, under the title of Silent Night, Evil Night, and then switched it back to the original Black Christmas. Um, yeah, again, it, it wasn't a major hit. It did okay. It made its money back. But it wasn't until it premiered on TV. It actually premiered on TV under the title of Stranger in the House. Oh, okay. And was set to make its network television debut on Saturday night on on NBC's Saturday Night at the Movies on January 28th. Um, however, two weeks prior to the premiere, the Chai Omega sorority house on campus of Florida State University in Tallahassee was the scene of a double murder in which two Chai Omega sisters asleep in their beds were bludgeoned to death. Jesus. Um, this killer was later identified as Ted Bundy. Oh, that's what I was yeah, that's right. So... Basically, uh, two days before the, the network premiere, Florida's then-Governor Ruben Askew, that's his real last name, contacted NBC President Robert Mulholland, Mulholland and requested that the movie not be shown due to all its similar theme of murders on a sorority house uh, by an unknown madman at the Chi Omega sorority house. Um, and so they actually... NBC gave several of its affiliates in Florida, Georgia, and Alabama the option to show an alternate movie, Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze, in place of Stranger in the House. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that like, it never got its due in its heyday, but it definitely has. It's only had its reputation grow, and it continues to grow to this to this era. Like Now I'm sure people are going to be Googling Black Christmas when the new one opens up this week. And they will wind up finding, oh, hey, look, there's a movie from 1974, which is the original, and there's a movie from 2000 and whatever. That's the remake, which we'll be watching next week. Um, so, guys, um, I'm getting very tired. I think we should wrap it up. Phil, what are your final thoughts on Bob Clark's Black Christmas? I love this movie. Yes. This has got to be, like, probably, like, the best horror movie ever. Like, It's so good. Yeah. yeah like, like, top five, at least. Yeah. Um, it's still scary. That's the thing. Like, I, you... It is. It's it's so it, it's you know mm -hmm. it, it was lightning in a bottle like you know like it took so long for me to get around to it because I thought like oh yeah first slash movie yeah, yeah it's, it's probably like really primitive and it's janky. probably gonna be kind of dull yeah, yeah that's sort of my initial impression but mm -hmm. no they no. they got it right the first time and like it peaked right away and exactly I mean and I, it's and it's also surprisingly progressive as well that's that's the thing that's that's yeah. that's that's also why I think it's held up really well and it finds like different audiences like it's like it's kind of got a little mm -hmm. believe women message believe women yeah. respect women's re reproductive rights yeah so there's all that stuff tied into it too because like constantly throughout the movie men are telling the women oh it's probably just one of your boyfriends oh it's a joke oh don't worry about yeah, it yeah there's lots of horrible mm -hmm. gaslighting mansplaining and 
I yeah, do. Uh, well, anti-choice so, sentiments. What have you? Yeah. Some guy gets shot in the ass. Yeah, by yeah, <laughs> a farmer shoots a cop in the butt. Um, I do have to point out one thing. Do you think John Saxon killed uh, Nash because he said like, if you tell her the killer's in the house, I'm gonna kill you? So do you think like after that whole thing, he just went, "Hey, Nash, bang." That'd be some good Black Christmas fan fiction, I must say. He just spends. Mm-hmm. Just I'm a man of my word. Spends the rest of his life in prison. Yeah, I, I told School him. With it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I told. yeah. As you were saying, like incredible tone. Yes. Um, I love the camera work. It's almost it almost looks kind of fish eyed. The POV shot. Well, the, well, the thing is, the because this was before the era of the steady cam mm-hmm. or even the glide cam to, to mm-hmm. achieve those shots, it had to be handheld. And the best way yeah. to make a handheld shot look smooth is to use a wider lens to get to dip into that 20 millimeter mm-hmm. to 14 millimeter zone and that just creates it doesn't go fisheye but it definitely like causes some yeah. some edge distortion to happen and it works so well yeah i know right it's, it's yeah yeah um they made four friday the 13th, 13th movies by doing that one that shtick yeah and mm. it's just the this the beginning of this golden era of uh atmospheric horror movies like uh, Tax Chainsaw Massacre yeah. and Halloween. Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't Hitchcock do some of that POV stuff? Not really. No? Not in Psycho? Like, no. Actually, no, no not, not in Psycho. All, right? No, I mean, Michael Powell did it a little bit in Peeping Tom, but that was through yeah. the POV of the camera, though. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent incorporation of humor. Um, yeah. The humor is actually funny. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. The dialogue's great. It's blended um, really, really well. And... Um, it's one of the few slasher movies that has genuine, solid character development. Exactly. You feel for every character in it that... Even Claire's you know, dad, who kind of comes off as a bit of a prude and... At uh, first, you, but you he, realize he's He becomes just, a very sympathetic character Because he end, just wants because... to know what happened to his daughter, and he's, like, seeing what's happened to that other woman's daughter and just being like, my God, like, this is all linked. Like, this is serious. Like, this is no longer me, you know, poo-pooing my daughter's choice of boyfriends or whatever. Mm. And as for the ending, I love the ambiguity yeah. of the ending. Like every great... slasher movie since then, except for like Halloween. And yeah, like has had a definite years. like the end. No, but it's also like not just the end, but like it's like five minutes of exposition as to yeah. what happened. You know, like or... all the dead bodies are like have been collected in this one room and the protagonist... Mm-hmm. Or like usually the final girl finds them all. Yeah, movie. any other any other film would have done basically it would have been about ten minutes longer. After that scene, it would have been like you know she's she's got she's groggy or something and still drugged up and she's got to fight this uh, this yeah. killer who's still in the house. Mm-hmm. And then it would have ended after. Yeah, but now, they just leave it like oh just, well I guess things are gonna get worse. Yeah, exactly. There's nowhere. Yeah, yeah. It's just good. It's like it knows when to end the story. It knew when to start it because it started like right at that party with like. Not really, like, uh, there's no, like, the character introductions are basically just, like, hey, everyone's at a party, like, and it's moving back and forth. We're seeing lots of different people. And they're chatting, and you can kind of get a sense of their characters. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just this mix, but I also have to give a shout-out to the sound design in this video. Yeah, Yeah, very good, good. because Graham's got the old, um, what do you call these? Surround sound. Surround sound set up, and, uh, like, when Claude the Cat was uh, meowing, Mm -hmm. it was like, I was turning my head because it I do sounds think, like what I, I do. I do think they did add some mixes for the 5.1, but I know that Bob Clark was involved in the mm-hmm. 5.1 mix when it was remastered for uh, for DVD. So I think he, it definitely like like brought back. I don't think it was just a hack job where like they got mm-hmm. some DVD company to do the mix because it was a good mix. Like the whole time I'm like, oh, the cat's over there. Now it's over there. Um, yeah. yeah, and use of scores uh, pretty spare as well. Which yeah, they'd use a, nice a lot touch. of that um, uh, striking the piano wire yeah. sounds. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all good. Popcorn and- fell on the floor and then disappeared. Oh no! Anything else, Phil? Any other thoughts? 
I think I, I think I've uh, said what I need to say about the movie. Just cool. love it. Great, Kit. What are your final thoughts on the film? Uh, first I liked time it watch? a lot. Yeah, oh, first great. time watch. Uh, it's better mm-hmm. than uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. I thought. Um, oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I love that movie, <laughs> but I love it for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's probably the best slasher movie I think we've watched here. Out of I, all the ones. I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I would agree. Do. I think it's. I think uh, in terms of, I think it's probably the best slasher. It's a surprise. I was not expecting it to. Everyone kind of says that when I show it to them. Like, I'm, I'm surprised. I was it's expecting that good. just some silly slasher with a paint by numbers kind of. Um, no. But no, it 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 it's better than that, which yeah. is which is good. They don't they don't make they don't make them like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because all the movies, like as I was saying, it, it's always it's either too grim, or they don't get the tone quite right. Yeah. Even like Scream, like I mm-hmm. didn't care about any of those characters no. really. Um, mm-hmm. They were all jerks. Yeah. The other good thing too about this movie is like all the actors in it were good actors. You had Margot Kidder, you had Olivia Hussey, you had Claire Dulea, you had Andrea Martin. Which people... I always think about Olivia Hussey's uh, mm-hmm. crying scenes in Romeo and Juliet, which were <laughs> her crying is just. <laughs> <laughs> but she was fifteen, like you were saying. Yes, she was exactly. fifteen. Exactly. Are... She does have some mm-hmm. good melodramatic. Uh, yeah crying here too she's much better in this yeah and i mean you have like the supporting players are art handle john saxton like can't be beat. like so so good um any other final thoughts uh no just uh a thumbs up for me four cool. stars yeah i love 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 this movie I, I i just say watch it please watch it um if you think, oh, it's a movie from 45 years ago, it's really good, it's still scary, it's still funny, you still like the characters, you don't want them to die, You are ter- and there are terrifying scenes in this, and that's... If you got a phone call like this... Yeah, you would be free, it, like, that's the thing, like, the movie, I can't imagine, like, hearing it now when we're mm-hmm. so desensitized to all this stuff, it's yeah. still like, oh, that's intense, but hearing it back in 1974 when, oh, when sure. that stuff was not everywhere... Yeah, there used to be prank phone calls. It used to be more of a thing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I still get them. At, people will phone businesses now and and do a stupid thing. Like they'll phone me working at the bookstore and ask for some stupid book. Really, like what? To, and you can hear kids laughing in the background. What, like oh, I don't know. Some. Do like, you have a copy of Butts? Yeah, exactly, exactly that. <laughs> it's like, and well, you, hi, you know we have caller ID, Brian. No, they because they, they block their number ahead of time, so it's oh. just unknown number. But they phone mm-hmm. like four or five times because the gag doesn't get old. But it's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have a book on penises? Penis enlargement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then you just hang up the phone. But um, no, you should be like, "Yes, I do." Where would you like me to ship it? Yeah, when I when I <laughs> when I grew up, it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was I don't know. You get a lot more prank calls. I'm sure we yeah. got one where there might have been some heavy breathing even, mm-hmm. even and stuff. People used to do that, but not to the degree of like I'm gonna. Meh, 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 no, meh, no, no, meh, no, no, no. Yeah. But although I'm sure that happened too. Yep. Anyways, great film. I am very tired. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with an episode on Black Xmas the remake, and then we're gonna do. We're some... taking the Christ out of Christmas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a secular film. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that'll be our next one. Then we're gonna be doing some of our best of the decade and best of the year. I'm excited to talk about oh, yeah, that. I can't wait for the best of the decade. I gotta mm. come up with a list because I really don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think the I best just... of the year. I've only seen like three films. So. See, I'm finding it hard. Best of the year because this this year is actually really good for movies. There's a lot of good stuff I watched, like Wasp Network. I just remember, was remembering that the other day. I'm like, oh my god, that movie. I forgot that that movie came out. Um, all right. So for Death by Video. I've been Phil. I've been Kit. And I'm always Graham saying, please be sure to rewind. Thank you so much for listening. Keep us watching awesome movies. Good night. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas.
with every Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright, and may all your Christmases be white. Oh!